The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to The Chris and Joe Show on Big Blue View Radio, your go-to source for New York Giants analysis. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet, airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. Welcome back to the Chris and Joe Show, presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum. Today's episode, continuing along the trend that we have been following throughout the offseason, preparing you for the start of the season by filling you in on every single position group. Guys that you need to know about that could have big years next year, players that could make the roster that could be surprised additions and stays on this team as well as players that are probably going to be cut sent to the practice squad or even sent home because they're not good enough to be on this Giants roster right now. We are continuing though onto the wide receivers group where we have a very deep group of players here. There's a lot of guys in this receiver group that we're not even going to go into full depth on every single one of them. But we're going to cover all the top end guys and fill you in, like I said, on players that are going to get cut, stick around, you name it. That being said about the receivers, typically expect what we're looking at is keeping around six guys. That's what we're assuming. Five to six is the usual typical range for teams on on what they like to keep for their, their regular season roster. Just in case if someone goes down, they'll have that extra player. And more typically than not, you will use receivers on special teams, um, you know, as gunners on the punt protection. If you have bigger receivers, they're perfect for those types of personnel uh, usages, especially also on kickoff. You want the fastest guys to run down and cover kicks to go down and make a tackle. Chris, we were just talking about this, how it is very odd to say, because you almost wouldn't even expect it, but I believe like a week or so ago, it was reported on Twitter that the Giants have the fastest 11 personnel grouping in the NFL, which again, you would not expect. But the way that we got that is that Golden Tate runs a 4-4, Sterling Shepard ran a 4-4, uh, Darius Slayton ran a 4-4, as well as Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley. All of those guys ran a 4-4, and a lot of that comes from this fast receiver group that, again, you would not expect to be really, really quick. Yeah, now I'm I'm not sure Golden Tate is really a four four player anymore. You know, he's thirty years old. He's been in the league a while. 
he's taken a lot of hits, taken a lot of wear and tear. He he probably isn't the same guy who ran the 40 yard dash at the combine, which is what they were using to measure this. By the way, it was uh, tweeted out by Daniel Jeremiah actually two weeks ago because 2020 time is weird. Might have only felt like a week, but whatever. So yeah, and it was almost shocking to see that the Giants have the fastest 11 personnel because they don't seem fast on the field, or at least they didn't under Ben McAdoo and Pat Shermer, where a lot of the passes were short and intermediate. Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard were getting most of their passes, really seven yards or less. And the Giants' really only vertical threat last year was Darius Slayton. Maybe with a a move to a more vertical offense, maybe we will get to see some more speed out of the Giants' offense. And then, of course, there really is no other offense that has a combination of tight end and running back like the Giants with Evan Ingram, who has wide receiver athleticism in a tight end's body, and Saquon Barkley, who has um, X-Men athleticism (laughs) in... I suppose, a running back's body. You already brought up the first guy that we're going to start talking about here is the most veteran player in the receiving group, Golden Tate. And understandably, he's probably not that same 4-4 guy because of how long he's been in the league. He's hovering around 30, so he's not going to have that same level of speed. And we also know that he's had some injury issues, not really making him capable of playing at that elite level of speed that he originally brought to receiving groups early on in his career with Seattle and also the Lions. However, it's worth noting, though, that Golden Tate still has the various traits that made him very, very good and consistent for a long time in the NFL, which is being crafty, having very good feet, being a very, very good route runner. While you're not going to use Golden Tate to stretch a defense and open things up over the top the way that you could have previously used him. He still is the perfect player to be used in the slot to pick up quick yards after a a good double move ran by him. He still has all of that in his arsenal to pick up those chunk yardage across the middle of the field. And honestly, I'm not too disappointed with Golden Tate only really being able to bring that to the table. He has enough knowledge and experience in this league to just mostly serve as that, again, veteran presence for this receiving group and an easy go-to option for Daniel Jones. Yeah, and I think that really is his role at this point in his career is kind of an accessory, a player who can produce chunk yardage, who can make the defense pay if they forget about him. He is good at finding open spots in zones. Yeah. On average, he wasn't generating a ton of separation. Part of that has to do with just where he was used. But he does have really good concentration at the catch point. He does have those good feet, that good stop-start quickness, where once he gets the ball in his hands, he can make a tackler miss and then produce as a runner. And really, we saw that. There was one touchdown he scored last year. I think it wound up being recorded as a 60-yard touchdown pass, but he got the ball three yards behind the line of scrimmage. We've been talking a lot about how the Giants want to have a more more vertical offense this year, but having a guy who can produce in the short area of the field, be a quick outlet, a safety blanket, that is still definitely useful, even if he's not going to be on the field full-time. 
Even though Golden Tate is currently right now the highest paid receiver on this Giants roster, it's still very likely for them to retain him, keep him around for the remainder of their contract, or his contract rather. There have been speculations that maybe after this year they decide to get rid of him, but for the current future, it makes the most sense to keep Golden Tate with not a lot of very good options behind him. They also don't have very many players to pull from that are free agents, as well as guys on the roster that have been around in the league as long as he has. So even though Golden Tate, not the same player he used to be early on, he still has that very, very strong uh, veteran leadership presence that he can bring to this roster. The guy right behind Golden Tate, and I think it's an interesting note to kind of think about, is maybe he's the younger version of Golden Tate when he is And it feels like we're constantly saying about this about Giants skill players when he's fully healthy and on the field. That is Sterling Shepard, who is pretty much the same exact size as him, 5'10", 200 pounds. And last year he missed six games because of reoccurring different injuries, still found ways to contribute with multiple 100-yard receiving games, big production days. If if we're talking about Sterling Shepard, though, Chris, it seems like we're coming up and pulling out the similar traits that Golden Tate had early on in his career, which is good speed, really good footwork, very good route runner, always finding ways to get open across the middle of the field. Yeah, that really is Shepard's game. And that does kind of contribute to his injury problems as well. You know, last year he had the broken thumb, I think it was on the first practice of training camp. And that kind of set the tone for the season because then he had those concussion issues, which were really scary. We even had former players saying, you know, maybe you should shut it down for the season, you know, protect your brain. But he did wind up playing most of the games last year. He had a pretty good season all told. He does do most of his work over the middle of the field and slot receivers, just nature of the position, they get beat up more than the outside receivers. The if he is healthy, we can't just drop that from Shepard, but he does have good explosiveness. He has a very explosive lower body. I believe he had 41 inches on the vertical jump. And it's kind of funny to think about a five foot 10 receiver with a catch radius that big, but he is also probably the Giants' best all around wide receiver because he is also very, very good at creating separation. Even though he was dealing with injury issues and, you know, maybe an offense that wasn't hitting on all cylinders some of the time, he was still among the best receivers when it came to getting open and creating separation on a down by down basis. So at the very least, he's going to be a dependable option and he does have some ability to get down the field. This time last year, I thought maybe he could kind of turn his game to be more like Antonio Brown, who is basically the same size I'm still not quite so sure but I do hope he at least gets the chance to show it when talking about Sterling Shepard however Chris the one thing that and I already brought it up the one thing that you have to consider and it it just sucks having to talk about this with talented players is are the injuries becoming too much of a concern because it seems like every season Sterling Shepard is now missing a game here, a game there, a long stretch of games because of some type of injury and also now because of the concussions. Do you think that's enough to really cause concern for this Giants coaching staff and also front office to the point where they might say, all right, if this keeps happening, Sterling, you might need to go stop playing, first of all, if you keep getting concussions, but also it might be in our best interest to look elsewhere for better options. I I think that's very much in play considering how much time he's missed. Yeah, definitely. And 
like we said multiple times last year, brain injuries are scary. You know, they don't have that kind of visceral ugh, feeling like when you see, you know, a bad leg injury, a knee injury, whatever on TV. But brain injuries have a tendency to linger, and that's what a concussion is. You are basically you are bruising your brain. If these things do start to pile up, really the best thing for him might be to follow Andrew Luck and retire early. And I think that does have to be in the back of the Giants' mind going forward. You know, maybe they do pay particular attention to the wide receiver position when they're scouting college players this year or, you know, really do their homework on the upcoming wide receiver free agent class. I am a Sterling Shepard fan. I do not want to see his career end and especially end like that. But, you know, you kind of have to just recognize the possibility. The scary thing too with the guy who has suffered multiple concussions is that he really could be one or two away or one very bad one enough to just straight up have to end his career in the middle of a season. He could be having a career year and his career could be done just from a single hit. So it's very tough to talk about Sterling Shepard's situation because of the circumstance of the specific injury that he's dealing with. Hopefully that doesn't happen. And like you said, I'm also rooting for him to stay on the field and be as productive as he is capable of being because we've seen him be very productive and take over ball games because of his talent level, his route running ability, all of that good stuff. Chris, the third guy I want to talk about is someone who I love to discuss, someone who I want to spend the next maybe 10 to 15 minutes talking about him because I love him so much. I spent a good amount of time before we started the show watching a couple games where he had big performances. And man, I got so excited watching him. I got so excited to the point where I was like, I need to tweet something about this because I I can't contain myself by how good this dude is. That's Darius Slayton. He was a bright spot in terms of being a, a young, lower drafted player, a fifth rounder performing at a level that nobody expected. Everyone assumed special teams. Instead, he went out there, had 740 yards and eight touchdowns. That is really good production. It was also up there with some of the rookie receivers last year in terms of receiving yardage and also receiving touchdowns. He is very, very good, and I will continue to say this and pound the table for this guy that I think Darius Slayton has what it takes to be in a couple years a very, very good receiving option in this Giants offense. Yeah, I do not disagree with that. I said before, and I maintain, I don't want to hang the title of number one receiver on him. I don't know if that ability to deal with, to command that kind of attention and then be able to almost ignore coverage like a true number one receiver is able to do. I don't know if he has that ability. That's no slight on him because we have seen... We have seen, you know, vertical complementary receivers, guys like, and it just keeps coming back to me, Miles Austin, maybe because of the Jason Garrett connection. Miles Austin, uh, Calvin Ridley, other guys like that who they might not have the full toolbox that a number one receiver should have, but they have a couple things that they do exceptionally well. And Slayton, he is a very explosive player. He is able to get down the field, and he is able to use that 
burst and explosiveness to make guys miss and generate yardage with the ball in his hands. Even if he never does become a Julio Jones type player, he can still be a very good option for this offense. And he's not going to get up to that level of being a Julio Jones just because they're completely different physical makeups. However, it's worth noting some of the things that he does well that maybe isn't really truly noticed. And I admittedly had previously talked about how oh, sometimes he gets uh, completely taken out of the equation against physical corners and he might get he might disappear in you know press situations. But I was watching him and I was seeing that he does decently well against press for a rookie. And on top of that, there were some plays where I saw him navigate traffic very well, work through contact, and then make plays and catches in very high contact contested situations. So that is in his game. That's something that he can work on and improve. But I will say, Chris, his biggest contribution going forward will be not when he's getting the ball and when he's targeted. It's going to be stretching a defense, forcing a secondary to react and say, this guy's going deep, we need somebody to cover him, and then opening up lanes for the underneath guys in Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate. You don't need those guys to stretch the field. You use Darius Slayton to do that. You use him to divert attention away. I watched a play against the Jets where the ball was thrown to the left side of the field and Darius Slayton was the outside receiver on the right. And what I witnessed was in cover two, they shifted to cover two at the start of the play, and both safeties shifted in the direction of Darius Slayton the minute that they saw him running a go route along the, outside, uh, the, the, along the sideline. That is the type of attention that you want with a very fast X-type receiver. You want the safeties, you want corners to shift in his direction because they they think, oh God, we you know we need to go stop this guy. We need at least somebody over there if he makes a play, grabs a ball, at least come in to contest it. And that's what you want because on the opposite end of the field, I think it was Red Elson who caught the ball and he was able to pick up a decent chunk yardage of plays because there were less guys there to make a play on him. So Darius Slayton, in my opinion, has exactly what you want with that X receiver, especially for this Air Coriel offense that is based on spreading out defenses with very deep routes. Yeah, he is going to be a very important player in this offense. And maybe just to circle back around to the Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, how they're so similar. I do wonder if the Giants might not play a lot more 12 personnel, two tight ends, and maybe use Evan Ingram as that other vertical receiver to complement, supplement, however you want to see it, Slayton, which would open up the middle of the field, the intermediate area of the field for Sterling Shepard, Caden Smith, Saquon Barkley. The final thought that I have with Darius Slayton is that seeing when he was most productive last year was against bad secondaries, teams that weren't very good at defending the pass, particularly the Jets was the one game that that I watched and saw a lot of these really good big plays from him. And I believe that Darius Slayton is going to have a very good year next year. Not against good secondaries, not against really good corners and teams with elite safeties. He's not going to really stand out in those games. But he's going to have 100 yards receiving games against every bad secondary that the Giants face. Because they're not going to understand how to deal with him. They're not going to be smart enough in a lot of situations to pick him up if he runs a go or a post route. He is going to have big days against those types of teams. And I think that is a very realistic 
expectation for a developing and improving second year deep threat that he's going to burn and torch teams with below average to very, very bad secondaries. Yeah. And I think that will kind of tell us a lot about him as a receiver, not whether or not he can produce against bad secondaries, but how he adapts to teams that do know how to deal with a player like him. Can he adapt to their adjustments? Can he make adjustments of his own? You know, can he get better at releasing against press coverage and dealing with physical corners or modifying his routes to find open spots, getting more crisp in his breaks? I think if we can see him take steps forward in those areas, that will tell us a lot about years three, four, and beyond, you know, as he develops. The final two players in the clear, likely returning guys currently sitting in the top five on the depth chart are Corey Coleman and Cody Core. Don't need to go too in depth with these guys because they don't really, they haven't really contributed much for this Giants offense, but rather their biggest contribution has been on special teams. The case with Corey Coleman, the former first rounder by the Browns who bounced around on multiple rosters before landing with the Giants two years ago, missed all of last season because of a serious knee injury. But the one big thing that we got from Corey Coleman was the fact that he could be an elite kick returner, picking up huge yards on returns as well as being an additional great fourth option when you want to work in with four receivers in a personnel grouping or you need to rotate someone in because someone's gassed from running a really deep route. Corey Coleman has that first-round talent, and I think that's the big reason why the Giants are keeping him around is because they know that at some point that they might be able to unlock it. That's a very Bill Belichick-type philosophy of bringing in guys that have this first-round talent, have not really played up to it, and then finding ways to at least get a little bit out of that so you still get a really good quality starter. Corey Coleman is all based on ceiling potential that we haven't even seen yet, haven't even been able to touch on, that we might eventually get. And then Cody Core is the special team's ace for the Giants. They were able to pick him up, I believe, from the Bengals this past offseason, and he was a huge contributor on special teams, not really getting on the field much to make uh, many receiving plays, but he is an obvious guy that is going to be sticking around with his special teams coordinator returning and also a special teams-minded head coach. Yeah, uh, Cody Kors, he is going to be a just dedicated special teams ace. Uh, What he did on kick and punt coverage last year should secure him a, a roster spot really without any problems. He like you said, didn't do much on the field for the offense, but on special teams, on those downs when you need your special teams players to come up and make a play to either give your offense maybe a little shot in the arm or really help your defense out, he came through. There were a couple plays where he pinned opposing offenses right back on their goal line, and that is just a huge advantage for the defense to get those hidden yards or deny those hidden yards to an offense. And with Coleman, I think he will get his chance on offense, but if he's going to make the roster, it will probably be with special teams work and particularly as a returner. The Giants have been 
trying for a while now to find a good, reliable return man. And, you know, Corey Coleman was the best they had. And he was good. He was one of the best kick returners in the NFL. Then he tore his ACL because, of course, they're going. To, they're definitely going to give him the chance to show that he still has that. That he can still average. Was it twenty seven yards per return? Maybe even closer to thirty. Yeah. And again, it's those hidden yardage that really helps out an offense. Where if you only have to drive seventy yards, that's a lot better than having to go eighty or whatever a an average or below average returner happens to get you. We have seven guys currently listed on the Giants roster who are fighting for one spot, the final sixth spot for this receiver group. We're going to talk about that situation next, but before we get to it, we're going to take a really short commercial break. Chris, it is crazy to see how we have seven players that are going to be fighting for that one spot or potentially a non-existent spot. A number of these guys are, actually all of these guys are young. They haven't been in the league for very long. They haven't really contributed. They're likely fighting for a spot that is going to be primarily special teams oriented. And you also even mentioned earlier when we were preparing notes that they're even competing with other position groups to make it on this roster. The seven guys that we have are Damari Scott, the three undrafted free agents from this class, Benjamin Victor, Austin Mack, Derek Dillon, as well as three other players that haven't really done much, Emba Etatawo, Alex Bachman, and David Sills V. The real question here, Chris, in just seeing this large group of players fighting for a limited position to be on this 50 uh, 55 man roster is who are the guys that we need to actually know who is at least one guy that we should be aware of out of all seven of them Giants fans should probably already be familiar with Amba Edetewo because you know I was saying before we started recording it feels like he has been with the team for, for forever he originally joined as an undrafted free agent out of Syracuse back in 2017 he has been impressive in preseason and training camp but has never managed to really carry that over to when it counts this is his last shot i think so it wouldn't be surprising to see him at least impress damari scott he is another guy who can help out on special teams and with a special teams coach as the head coach that could be important altogether you know i i honestly wouldn't be surprised to see the giants go with just five receivers overall and maybe use that roster spot somewhere else. Maybe on the defense, maybe carry four tight ends or maybe even five running backs. Who knows? I think out of anyone that really needs to be a, like known on this list, there's not really a lot of guys, Chris, that draw a lot of interest from me. There's not a lot of guys that I, I, I'm really excited about because they're high potential untalked about players like we had with Bryce and John with the tight end group and how we were hyping him up a little bit. I think in general, though, the players to be aware of are the three undrafted free agents because the Giants didn't draft anyone. They didn't draft a single receiver despite it being a really deep receiver class, but then banked on the fact that a lot of guys slipped, fell out of the draft as undrafted free agents and bagged three of the top quality guys in Benjamin Victor, Austin Mack, and Derek Dillon. Those three players are the ones to pay the most attention to because they are 
top quality guys in this receiver uh, this in the past receiver draft class that managed to fall in the Giants' lap all have traits that can be used and harnessed, especially Derek Dillon, who, according to an article written by uh, Nick Filato on his on the other publication that he works for, he he quoted the fact that Derek Dillon ran a four two nine at the LSU virtual pro day. That I, that probably is a little bit adjusted, but still, if he's got four three speed, that is very very fast and something that the Giants coaching staff is probably paying attention to that they could potentially use as a kick returner, uh, back end receiver. Use him in specific situations if you want all of your speed guys out there on the field. Chris, like we've done every single show, we've discussed who we think is likely to get cut and who's also most likely going to be on the practice squad. Who do you think makes the most sense to get cut? And I think I could probably take a guess on the most likely candidates that you're going to pick. <laughs> uh, I would say the, mo- the most likely ones are probably David Sills and Alex Bachman. I honestly would not be surprised if all seven of these guys were cut. But I do think at least the undrafted free agents wind up getting brought back for the practice squad. I don't know yet if the Giants keep five or six wide receivers. It could be that they want six receivers, but their sixth receiver is not on the roster right now. You know, we'll have to wait and see who gets cut over training camp or at the end of you know final cutdowns. There's always a surprise cut or two. Maybe the Giants wind up landing a receiver who they have their eye on, but he is on another team right now. Certainly, and I, I think the what makes the most sense for guys to go home, Sills, Edatawo, Bachman, those three players are in the most difficult situation because they're, they've been in the league for over a year, or they've been at least around on a practice squad, and they've also been with the Giants. New coaching staff, they're going to want a different look. They're going to probably be more interested in younger guys because you can keep them around in the future for longer. The only player I think that isn't going to be as discussed as a possible cut is Damari Scott because he actually was able to be on the Giants roster and also get in here and there and do various things and contribute. Not a a lot, but he has at least been around with this front office group under Dave Gettleman, which makes the most sense for why he's probably the most likely to be that sixth receiver. If we're talking about practice squad guys, is it too much to say that all three of these undrafted free agent guys will be there, or is is a likely mix of two of them the the best case scenario? I think I I think Victor and Dylan are probably the two most likely to stick around, if only just because of their speed. Victor is thin; he is sli- slightly built, but he is tall. He's six four, and he doesn't have a great burst. But once he gets moving, those long legs of his they just eat up ground. Yeah, you know, he's kind of like Martavis Bryant in that way. And then Derek Dillon, he's undersized, but explosive. And you know, we started off the show by talking about how fast the Giants 11 personnel package is. Well, they could always use more explosive vertical speed. And if they can develop those guys, maybe stash them away on the practice squad, I could definitely see them doing that. Austin Mack, I'm a little less sure of. I'm in the same boat as you. The two guys returning, it's it's going to be at least two guys with the limited amount of practice squad spots. Best case scenario, or not best case scenario, but most likely scenario for who they keep 
more often than not, it seems like guys on the practice squad are rookies that they can at least develop and see what they can get out of and then make a decision the following year on if they want to keep them yet again. That's the case for the guys that were previously on the practice squad. Do the Giants, the Giants already know what they have. They already know potentially what their ceiling is. They already know what they're getting, making it less likely for them to keep those guys around if they haven't already impressed them. So I'm in the same boat as you. I think Dylan has the most likelihood to be here on the practice squad because of that deep speed. And then I'm also a fan of what Benjamin does in being a playmaker. Maybe if you can spend some time in increasing his frame, adding some more weight and some strength for his six foot four height, he could improve his game because that was his biggest issue. Was it was it was struggling in press situations against contact when he was forced to be physical, he did not do well enough because he wasn't strong enough. So that's something that the Giants could say, hey, all we got to do is tell this dude and, and get him working with our strength and conditioning program and get him with a nutritionist to get him up to 215, 210, and bulk a little bit more to get a lot stronger in his upper body. Assuming he has the frame to hang, to be able to carry that additional mass without losing his athleticism, that would be kind of like Ryzen John, a really good reason to hang on to him. You know, because young guys like this, you never quite know what they're going to turn into. So if you can grab them, develop them, build familiarity within the within the program with them, get them familiar with your offense, and you know, maybe they do turn into something. And if you can get an undrafted free agent to turn into something, that is that is about as close to ideal as you can get. All right, folks, that is going to be it from us on this receiver breakdown show. We're going to continue on to the next position group, which we will likely spend the whole week doing, being the offensive line. Uh, If you enjoy the show, please give us a review wherever you may be listening to us, and also subscribe. Uh, Additionally, follow us on social media at Big Blue View. You can follow me at Joe DeLeon, and you can follow Chris at RaptorMKII. Also, be sure to head to our website, bigblueview.com for more coverage on the New York Giants. Stay tuned for next week as, like I said, we will be discussing the gigantic unit that is the Giants' young offensive line.